And then you have this, this injustice, this fiery injustice comes through of what are we doing? What are we doing and how come we're still doing it? You know, it, it's, it's, it's up to me to do something. And I think that's really missing in our culture. And it's up to us. It's up to us as the 50-year-old women to rise and reclaim that responsibility so that we can, we can bring the feminine to a dysfunctional patriarchy that we live in at the moment. It's not the men's fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's, it, it, but clearly it's not working. Welcome to the Pollination Mamas podcast. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land where I live, the Birupai people, and all other First Nations people within Australia. I aim to bring you collaborative conversations, cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. The gorgeous little song that you heard in the intro and the outro is called The Littlest Birds. It was performed by the Oluca family band from the Olive Gap Farm. It was originally performed by the Be Good Tanyas and generously sponsored by the Olive Gap Farm, which is a certified organic family farm specialising in small batch native essential oils and seasonal cut flowers. I highly recommend checking out their tea tree oil online. They are located on Bundjalung country in the northern rivers of New South Wales, Australia and draw on inspiration from various sustainable farming practices to create a high quality product that's equally nourishing to us and the earth. You can check out links to their website and social media in the show notes. Hey everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. I've got a guest here today, Brenda Rogers of Quintessence Health, the menopause naturopath, but she's more than that. Brenda specializes in transformational health and well-being for women, particularly at menopause. Brenda helps women transform from a hot, sweaty mess into cool, calm and confident so they can get back to fulfilling their lives. But as we chat, you'll see that Brenda, um, while she has her specialties, encompasses much more than that. And I'm really excited to share, uh, have this conversation and share Brenda with you all today. Uh, I came across Brenda through the Western A. Price um, Foundation and chapter leader, um, what's it called? Lists. <laughs> so, and I got in contact with her that way. And we've had, yeah, a few really lovely pre-chats leading up to this so I'm super excited thanks so much for being here Brenda oh Shelley thank you very much for the opportunity to be here and for the glory of zoom so we can connect Woo-hoo. I know it's amazing <laughs> isn't it absolutely <laughs> I started doing podcasts I was like what I get to sit in my kitchen and just have these really interesting conversations this is awesome <laughs> I was trying to blog and I don't mind blogging, but it was like, oh, go and write a blog. And I was like, I'm just going to podcast. I love talking. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it's given me a, a wonderful opportunity to, to spread the word. I, as you mentioned, as a Western Price chapter leader, we were doing face-to-face -face education here just in the Hills District of Sydney. And then because of the, the, the lockdowns and the restrictions, our event, which was planned for March, got canned. And I thought, okay, what do we do here? And like everyone else, who sees an opportunity, we went online. It just meant that I had to upgrade my Zoom subscription, which is, which is fine. And then so far we have you know, doubled and tripled the number of people who now have access to that information. And what's beautiful is that I get to, um, with the guest speaker, so far they've been Sydney-based, and I've, uh, tr I've travelled to the speaker, the guest speaker's kitchen, and hosted the event from there. And that, that's just so wonderful. I mean, I think really us women, uh, especially those of us reconnected to the earth and to food and so on, uh, love the kitchen. The kitchen is a very, it's the hearth and the heart of the home. And so to be in another woman's kitchen is such a, an honour and a privilege and it's very fascinating. And then to, to for that woman to share her wisdom from... You know, from um, you know that healing perspective that uh, of food, that is it has been totally inspirational for me. And I just you know it's a lot of work, but each time I go, oh my gosh, I've just got to keep this going. It's so fabulous. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I think it is interesting. There's been sort of waves of you know women's rights and feminism, and part of that was like, oh, I don't want to be stuck in the kitchen, and I. I get that I still feel that some days but I love being there too and sort of reclaiming it reclaiming it as a, a place of enjoyment and empowerment and being able to nourish yourself and others in that way is really beautiful and it's not for everyone yeah. but for those that are called to it it's really powerful yeah and I honestly think that there's a lot more women called to it than that that they realize I certainly was I didn't I didn't think I'd be in the kitchen you know, I'm, I'm a corporate woman and a, you know, traveller, world traveller. And, you know, I grew up in the 70s where it was get out of the kitchen. Like you're saying, get out of the kitchen. The apron was the symbol of basically handcuffs on us, you know, and our limitations. And, look, I think that going through that process of liberation from the kitchen has been an essential part of our own journey. Uh, but for, for many of us, it's been to our own detriment. I think marketing jumped on it and started promoting foods available by, made by someone else, uh, foods made by big companies, I guess. And I think that that's had a severe impact on our well-being and our families and our children. And now there's epidemics that are out there that are completely related um, you know, back to food and food quality and sitting around the table and enjoying food and participating in food production and growing a few veggies out the backyard and, you know, having a chicken or two and all of that, that healing that goes on with food when you are connected to its provenance and its source. So um, I'm with you on that one, Shelley. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is quite empowering it can be empowering and it doesn't mean that you need to be in there all day there's ways like you said you know you have a day where you're cooking earlier you said that and um 
yeah, you still not, you don't have to be tired to the kitchen, but to enjoy it. And I think reconnecting for some people, it's a really amazing way to reconnect with the feminine, whether you're male or female or um, anywhere along the spectrum of gender, it's a really amazing nurturing way to connect with that feminine energy. And for someone, a woman, especially that's looking to connect with that, it's, it is a beautiful way to do that and to connect with the earth. Like you said, that Providence. I agree. And I believe eating disorders have a source in that disconnection. That was my background. Um, but it, it, it's, I think it's a, and this may sound politically incorrect, but I think it's a fundamental, sacred, and I don't want to use the word obligation or duty because they've got so many connotations on them, but it's a sacred opportunity to be the nourisher, the nurturer, the nourisher in, in, the, um, in the family. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I said to somebody recently, it's like some of, oh, I've got kookaburras out my, out my window. Um, you know, some of the trades, if you think back to when we were living in a village, some of the trades became apprenticeships like, like um, carpentry or electrical or um, uh, shoeing the horses or whatever it was. And to me, there's this sense of cooking in the kitchen and being in the kitchen is also one of those trades, if you like, that gets handed down to the next generation. The daughters and the granddaughters are, are learning the secrets, the magic of healing foods and how to, um, how to create, um, you know, magical uh, recipes that nourish the soul and the body. And I think that for whatever reason, that kitchen role never got caught up in, in something. I mean, I suppose we've got chefs, um, which, is, which has that, but then just in the home, that, that, that wonderful opportunity to embrace the, your feminine aspect and, um, you know, be the sovereign of your own kitchen. I call it the kitchen goddess. I'm, my, I'm the sovereign of my kitchen. I'm very, very fussy about who I let in. And I don't mean my, my partner and my stepdaughter. I mean big, big food companies and big pharma. Very selective about who I let in to my, in my space. And, you know, some things slip through because, of course, we live in, we have busy lives. So, um, you know, I, I confess I don't do everything from scratch. Um, but, yeah you know, reading the labels and being very, very selective about what's allowed in and what's not is, is where I'm at at the moment. Mm, yeah, it's important. As you're talking, I was thinking it's also about value, isn't it? I mean, a lot of us, um, are, we have to cook, we have to eat, <laughs> we all have to eat. And for those that have a family, then some, we will at least sometimes be doing the cooking and the nurturing. And it's those unseen invisible roles that just happen day to day also the shopping what's being chosen what's being brought in who's making those decisions it's all these unseen roles that happen and giving that value and i think that will help with not feeling so resentful when there's value to that that the person who's doing the shopping and the sourcing of food and the preparing and the cooking there's huge value in that and so that's yeah another important aspect 
which kind of brings me to um, the topic I want to touch on you, which is rite of passage for women. So we're talking from menarche, motherhood, through to perimenopause and menopause, that wise woman stage, and how most cultures, I would almost dare to say all cultures, had an understanding of the rite of passage of those phases of life and gave it value. And um, you're really, your focus at the moment is on that perimenopause and menopausal kind of empowering women as they enter into that wise woman phase. So I'd love for you to share about why you feel that's a really important uh, aspect that we need to really bring into our culture again and sort of how you came to be passionate about this work. Well, a um, couple of things, Shelley. Um, rites of passage also include um, birth and death. And I suppose, uh, you know, my perspective is the naturopathic perspective, which is a, a holistic perspective. And I've been a naturopath for 30 years and have had the greatest opportunity to fully embrace that holism and what that means. And... My own journey has been, you know, rocky. So I'll share some of that with you. Um, and so, yeah, so I didn't really come across rites of passage until I was, uh, I had a tragedy in, a, in my life. Um, in my 40s, I lost a pregnancy. And, you know, I was trying to have a baby late and, um you know, long story, and that didn't pan out that well for me and left me um, shattered and, and you know, the dark night of the soul, empty and, you know, feeling in that very vulnerable failure um, time that goes with tragedy. Um, and I came out of that very, very sick, very weak um, and very you know, confused about life and made, had the, had the wherewithal at the time to know that I, I couldn't make any decisions. I, I, that sounds a bit strange. I was so frightened. My anxiety levels were so enormously high. I could barely drive. Even going to the supermarket was a challenge. I thought I, I can't decide what to buy and I was so cold because of the, the, the whole process. I was cold to my bones and the supermarkets are freezing so it's like just going and getting food was was such a challenge um and i just thought i just i, I just don't know how to make a decision i you know I was too frightened to, to even make a decision so you know it was in that moment like with many um sort of tragic events in a person's life you i kind of connected to my higher self um my source i suppose and went, okay, uh, I can't do this. Just I'll listen, guide me. What, what, what do I need to do? One of the things that led me to was a wise woman's gathering, which actually happened here once a year. It was the very first one. It, was, it happens out at Wiseman's Ferry. Uh, it was a, it was, it's a big camping event and it's in the middle of summer. It's hot and sweaty and, and it was one lecture after another after another. It was a conference on earth medicine and, you know, there are other naturopaths and herbalists and wise women, all kinds of things. It was absolutely brilliant. And that's where I heard a lady called Jane Hardwick Collins speak. 
some of you would, would be familiar with her work. She's absolutely amazing. And I, I um, you know, I, I went into her lecture on, um, on menopause. I think it was Harvest Queen, I think it was called, which I just love that title. Um, and learned about the seasons of life and that the menopausal time is the autumn. And then I thought, okay, well, she was, there's not just autumn, right? We just don't have autumn all year round. We have everything else as well. And learned that, you know, like your age, Shelley, in your 20s and 30s, this is the summer phase of life. Um, spring is in our teens and, and, our, and our, you know, when we're blossoming into, into adults, uh, into human beings. And then, of course, when you're at your 80s or so, this is the winter stage of life. And so it just made so much sense. And, you know, being a holistic thinker, it just, I just, whooshed, it went into my body. So I, you know, of course I went, how come I haven't known about this before? This is amazing. This is women's wisdom. This is, this is incredible. And uh, perimenopause, which is the, the time leading up to the cessation of your period, was just one aspect of that, and um, there was so much, uh, so much power I could, I could, I learned so much power at this time in a woman's life. So, for example, um, estrogen is a hormone of compliance. Estrogen makes us, um, you know, for the survival of the species, makes us. Uh, you know, care for our young. And whereas testosterone is a hormone of, um, well, it's often considered a hormone of aggression, but I think that that's too strong a word for its natural effect. It's, it's yang, it's powerful, it's action, it's all these things. And so uh, that happens to us at Menarch, right? When we are teenagers and those hormones are coming in, and then at in our 40s, those hormones are withdrawing. So we're, we're going back to a personality that's almost more like our, our being eight-year-old than it is about being 28-year-old. And that, that withdrawal of those hormones changes your identity. So an identity change is a rite of passage. That's the definition of a rite of passage. You're going from one status reproductive woman, hormones are withdrawing, what am I now? I'm all confused. I, 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 just, I, don't, I don't, the soft, fuzzy feeling, some of those disappear and this, this crazy, <laughs> what gets labelled crazy, I don't think it is crazy. It's this, this expression of this fire that's within that now wants to go and move into the next grandmother phase or the autumn phase or that. And I call it wild woman. I used to call it wise woman um, until somebody told, I, I learned from another woman who were, they were calling it the wild woman. And I think that's way more apt for that um, late 40s, 50s, maybe early 60s phase. And then wise woman, wise woman is 70s and, and 80s. And that, oh my gosh. Those women have such such wisdom, and then so this 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 liminal phase, this transition phase of a rite of passage, 
before we've become the new person. It's really disconcerting, really unsettling. And of course, we don't have any idea we're even going through this. So it's even more unsettling. And, and, and unfortunately, the statistics are very, very sad that a lot of women commit suicide at 45 to 49. That's the highest suicide rate for women, which is absolutely tragic. And then the second highest suicide rate for women is 50 to 54. Mm. And the reason I believe is this, you know, I'm not useful anymore. I'm, you know, this. I, I'm, I'm putting on weight. I'm, I'm, I don't, I, I'm aging. I'm becoming redundant. My role as a reproductive woman changes, and it's not, not that like it's physically changing necessarily in your outside world, but the hormones that support that are leaving, and this, this, this transition phase is the actual. You know how they say with the Aboriginals, the boys and, and possibly the girls and, and in tribal cultures, they have this, you know, you go out into nature for five days or whatever and if you come back, you become a man. If you don't, you don't, right? Because, the, you know, can, uh, you got hit, killed by a snake or something like that, right? Which sounds harsh, but we, we go through something similar in that it is this, this, inner journey that that occurs and you come out the other side hopefully you come out the other side i mean if you take hrt i think that can dampen it because the estrogen is still there or if you just become depressed then that's that's not what that's like a you know it's like you haven't quite made it yet you're stuck in that transition phase or if you, um, if you get sick, a lot of women at this point get, you know, get some kind of illness, a, a female illness, an osteoporosis or a breast cancer or um, so on. And Dr. Christiane Northrup talks, talks about these in her book, um, The Wisdom of Menopause, as, as really expressions of unexpressed power, unexpressed emotion. Uh, and then, then eventually, when we when we finally get there, we you know in the early fifties or whenever your your menopause is, when the period ceased and you kind of move into postmenopause, there's this there's this um, you know new identity opening up. It's very powerful. It, it, it can be very powerful. It's got a lot of inner oomph to it that comes from a caring for not just the, the, the babies now, which is the role of the mother. The mother's role is to take care of her immediate offspring. The grandmother energy is another generation. And you can, you can, you can, um, and you know, I suppose if you take it another level, the great grandmother energy is another generation again, but your, your, your sense of responsibility expands and there's this real desire to, um, to change things, to to readjust what the injustices in in the world, and to to go and study, or to go, to start a business, or to travel to India and meditate for three months, or leave your husband, or um, you know this 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 new identity needs an outlet. And I don't encourage leaving your husband unless you're in an un, you know an unsafe environment, because I think being in your fifties is 
I know this is my opinion, doesn't have to be everyone's. I think it's easier with a partner. It could be a female partner. A lot of women don't need to reproduce anymore and so they, they opt for a female partner. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's the companionship and the understanding and the company and sharing expenses and the financial practicalities and having someone to go on holidays with and all those kinds of things, much better in your 50s if you have somebody with you. And so this trip to the Wise Women's Gathering led me then on to yin yoga and I became a yin yoga teacher. And then it led me on to another thing called the Art of Feminine Presence, which is another um, tool that I've discovered for teaching women confidence and having a voice and speaking up. And so all of these really enhanced my naturopathic understanding of, of health. You know, it starts with physical symptoms and naturopathic a herb for this and a, and a diet, a diet for that. And then it goes way beyond that too into, you know, you're so stressed, you're 49, you're so stressed, your periods are super heavy, um, you've got ageing parents, you've got teenage kids, the boss at work wants you to step up because you're so amazing now, your husband's kind of like, what does he want? Um oh my goodness, who am I? I'm changing, I'm putting on weight, I, I you know, I, I've got joint pain. You know, let's sort that out with, you know, let's calm you down, let's get you sleeping, let's look at your diet so that it's cleaner, um, let's have a conversation about who you are right now and what's happening to you. And so I've just found this has become my passion and that's why I call myself the menopause naturopath. Um, and then, Shelley, I could go, keep going on, but I just want to add in before you ask me the next question that there is a similar thing happening when you have a baby. Now, not everyone has the, the joyous opportunity to birth children. And so it could be birthing a business or birthing a project or birthing a charity or something. Um, but that becoming a business owner, becoming a mother, uh, becoming a, an employer, um, becoming a charity leader, whatever that might be, is the mother role. And that is also a, a rite of passage, which we, which we know very little about. And unfortunately, which really bugs me, is we medicalise it so much. You know, if you have postnatal depression because your whole, whole identity has changed and nobody's supported you enough. You know, in tribal and traditional cultures, in some cultures, the woman laid in bed and slept and then and looked after her baby while the rest of the women in the village brought food and came and looked after her and cleaned the kitchen and all that stuff for 40 days. I think it's in Asia, in Vietnam or somewhere, you get 40 days of we'll come and help you. Uh, and, and we don't have that, you know, it's two days or less and you're back home and looking after other kids and husbands and all that kind of stuff. So there's a rite of passage an identity change, obviously going on when you're a mother, same thing when you have your first period and you're becoming a reproductive woman you're going from and and girls don't understand this either we don't teach them about that either and so 
to them it's just the monthlies or the curse or an inconvenience and then it gets internalised into I'm not okay being a woman, I need to lose weight, I need to go on a diet, I need to become a, a vegan, um, all these quite destructive things that occur in these, in these beautiful budding girls. And then, of course, we go back one further and it's the birth, death, um, well, I guess death is after menopause, but the birth, how we get birthed. If you look at these, this ancient, the ancient mysteries, this ancient wisdom, the birth story for us human beings sets us up for our other rites of passage. So if you, if you study your own birth, if you find out about your own birth, was it drugged? Was it a cesarean? Was it late? Was it early? Where was your mother at? All that kind of stuff. This is the information that I um, learned from Jane Hardwick Collins that, that that birth is a template for our experience of life. It's not permanent, of course. You know, you can do your own healing and all the rest of it to 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 make a difference to that. But so you know, this it's fascinating information that really can lead you to a much much more joyful life and i think that's ultimately what we're wanting full full self-expression full beautiful joyful life absolutely yeah thriving not just surviving well firstly i want to say thank you for sharing all of that but especially your story into motherhood and and that is huge like taking into account that it's a big rite of passage anyway but to have that dark night of the soul and the loss in there and I just, I have so much um, respect for how you've taken that and you, it sounds like you didn't bypass it, you went into it and you've sort of risen through it and you still have so much energy to share and give and be inspired, which is just so inspiring and beautiful. And you're a stepmom, so I, I feel like, because I do talk about motherhood a lot and you're right, all cultures had very, um, a very structured understanding that a mum needed to rest for, rest for at least a few weeks up to 40 days and all she had to do was heal, rest, fall in love with baby, learn to breastfeed and that was it pretty much. And I, I do believe that it, it does apply to, in a different way to women who choose to foster, become stepmoms, like you said, take on projects. It's still a similar process, adopt, foster, all of those things. Um, it's still that transition. There's like a redefining, which you really spoke about in depth. There's this like kind of liminal limbo land space and that you, in that time you're redefining. And so it, it's partly your inner resolve, but also it would be so much easier and so much more um, constructive and positive if we were held by our community and our community structures and cultural practices with an understanding of rite of passage. It should never just be one or the other, someone doing it on their own or relying on everyone else to do it. It should be both being held by your community um, as well as finding that inner power. And can I just add to that, Shelley? My personal opinion is that it's the invalidating of the older woman that we have in our culture um, that perpetuates the problem. My own experience, and I thank you for the acknowledgement, it was the dark night of the soul and it's because of that that I am doing 
what I'm doing, not in spite of that. And it was my, my handing over to a higher source really um, that let, has led me on this path. And, and what I've had to do is learn to listen to that, to get out of my head and into my body. And that has made all of the difference. My own personal belief is that if you put a, if you put a um, gag on the 50-year-old woman, then you stunt growth in our community because my own experience as an empowered 50-year-old woman is that I want to change things that I see is wrong. And there are lots of things, and you're alluding to it, you know, we could create villages instead of these big sprawling cities. We could not allow food companies to sell crap to our children. We could, and you know, when you get into the medical side of things, it's very dangerous. You've got to watch what you say. So, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the medical industry that is about money making and not about supporting the well-being of our babies and our and our anyone. And I believe it's the it's the gagging of the 50-year-old woman because the the mother her responsibilities is her children. You know that's the next generation and the generation after that. If you've got if you've got a, a, a baby girl, you've got her, you know, her, her stem cells for the eggs for the next generation, right? So you've got, you know, you, you're not just mothering a daughter, you're mothering, a, or a son really, you're mothering the, the lineage, the future. And that's where their attention needs to be, even though a lot of women who are mothers make, do great things in the world, not, not denying that. But really, my own opinion is that it, it, when, when the child-rearing responsibility has diminished, well, there's two ways of looking at it. Either the grandmother takes on some of the child-rearing responsibilities of the young woman, so she has the space to go out in the world and energy, she's got more energy to go out in the world and do things. Um, which is a bit like when you see Chinese families and they all live in the one house and grandma and grandpa are in this side of the house and the sisters in that side of the house and, and they have a little bit of that still. They brought that with them and it's, there's a lot of sense to that. Um, or, you know, you, you let the mothers look after the babies and it's the grandmother um, energy, you know, may not necessarily be a grandmother, but it's the grandmother energy fully self-expressed, that power coming through and that empowerment coming through. Ideally, in my opinion, without drugs, although, um, you know, I have no, I have no um, illusions that some women need those, that support. So I'm not, um, I'm not doing any shaming or anything on that regard. I just think the optimal is to be drug-free and that sometimes we can get to that point. And then you have this, this injustice, this fiery injustice comes through of what are we doing? What are we doing and how come we're still doing it? You know, it, it's, it's, it's up to me to do something and I think that's really missing in our culture. And it's up to us, it's up to us as the 50-year-old women to rise and reclaim that responsibility so that we can we can bring the feminine to a dysfunctional patriarchy that we live in at the moment. It's not the men's fault. 
It's not anyone's fault. It's, it, it, but clearly it's not working. Kids are so sick. Everyone's on drugs. You know, you're 50 year old and you're not on, on a medication. It's unusual. So that's my opinion. I love it. I do. I can really relate to that. So ironically, as you're talking, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Um, my mother-in-law, well, not married. So my, <laughs> my daughter's grandmother. Mother outlaw. Yeah. My daughter's grandmother is Filipina. So she would very happily have us all live together. And we did live with her for a time. Um, and that's where my kids are today. And so I get a day or two a week where she loves spending time with them. And that allows me to have this time in the world outside of the family. And uh, to be honest, like sometimes even though I might take on a project, I'm like, oh, I'd love a few more days. I'm happy with that, those two days. That's fantastic because then I can put the rest of my energy into homeschooling and being with my kids and whatever it is. Um, and she loves that. So I think there is, you do touch on some interesting points that we need a little bit because in motherhood we start to get these, I talk about this as that transition happens, whether you have children or not that phase of your life you start to get in touch with your calling a bit more you start to get these inspirations for life and um to have that expression is really powerful but to still have time and energy to be sleep deprived and tired and with your kids and all of those things and then i love that wild wise woman phase where yeah you're, it's, you're kind of upping at another level out in the world that kind of bigger perspective and I see that with some women I know who um, as we're talking about environmental issues I go oh I'd love to go and do that thing or that action or be more involved and advocate but I just don't have the time and energy it's not right for my life phase but I feel this like mm, but it needs to be done but there's these women in the wild wise woman phase who have it their children are older. They can still put some energy into their family and their community, but they have that time to be able to go out and be an, um, an activist of, for whatever cause that is. I love that you talk about that. And, and there is a real role for, in what I talk about with supporting women in the postpartum for the women of the wide, wild wise woman generation. They're the ones that are needed because... If it's just mothers supporting mothers, we've got our kids in tow and, yeah, we can cook some food and drop off and we can hang out and, go, and talk to each other and relate and be like, yeah, it's tough. This mothering is tough, but, you know, it's beautiful. And, but we need those wise women to give us a different perspective and provide a different support. So I just love what you're sharing. I, and I'm glad that you shared those statistics about suicide. I didn't know that. And I think that's a real sort of canary in the coal mine. This is like ding, 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 the alarm's going off. Are we going yeah. to address the smoke, the root cause of where that smoke's coming from when the fire alarm's going off? And I, um, I do talk about this too because the leading cause of maternal death in the first year after birth in Australia and the US is suicide. The rates mm. don't, mustn't be as high as um, that perimenopausal, menopausal, but that is the leading cause of death and that is serious business. And, again, it's, it's not okay. We can't just stand we can't keep living like this there has to be really serious changes um on a cultural and on a practical level so i'd love for you to share oh i also love the idea of women in your phase or anytime having a partner my auntie um lives with her friend her housemate 
and they do everything together. And I think that's another option, whether it's a partner or a housemate. You don't have to live alone. Like join for, go back to what it was when I know I was in my early 20s living, going to uni and studying and living with housemates. You could do that again, <laughs> you know, totally. in a different way. Totally. And, you know, you know, just to get a little bit personal here, um, a little bit deeper, Shelley, a lot of women experience vaginal atrophy postmenopausal. And so, um, you know, regular sex becomes very painful and difficult. And yet they still want to have the companionship and have the intimacy and a cuddle and a hug and a, and a, and a you know, and you can get that from a male partner. You know, my, my, actually this is my fiancé now. He asked me to marry him a few weeks oh, ago. congratulations. That's wonderful. Um, super understanding and, you know, all those menopausal things that are, that have happened along the way. He's been um, interested and, and kind about, which I totally bless him for. Um, but for some women, you know, sex becomes not that, you know, in, in penetrating sex becomes not something that they really miss. And, I, you know, I, I, I like to say that because people feel that way and think there's something wrong with them and that, you know, I need to take some hormones so I get my libido back. It's like, well, do you want it back? <laughs> some women do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think some naturopathic things can be very helpful as well. Uh, a lot of it's tied up with stress and, and stress hormones in the body. But, yeah, you know, that, um, I mean, the, you, you, you bring up a good point, you know, you lived with your in-laws for a while and I think for many people, especially as Western women, that can be very, very difficult um, because we're not used to that. We're not used to sharing the nest with someone else and certainly step-parenting is a bit like that too because in a sense, you're, you, I, uh, you know, for both parties, for the mother and for the stepmother, um, there's another woman in the nest and something primal says, get out of my nest, woman. <laughs> uh, and you can't do that, of course. So it does teach you, you have, if you want to make it work, and so many, so many don't, uh, you, I think recognising that some of those emotions are primal, but you've got the conscious brain, the forebrain, the, the frontal lobe to go, you know what, I'm feeling really upset and, and my territories and being invaded and I don't really like it and where's the power here and and I don't I'm supposed to be the most important woman in his life and how come the ex is you know and all that stuff going on and then you've got to go okay calm down calm down let the ego just back in your box uh ego um what's best here for the child um and for the, the community that you've become the household and even though the ex doesn't live here in a sense it's a shared household because the child lives in both and a whole different skill set required to be a, a, an effective step parent and i i'm very proud that i i have a very successful menopausal relationship and a very successful um, step parenting uh, situation so that i can share the what's possible with women um, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot of self-awareness, personal development, meditation <laughs> um, and ways of getting the anger out. So, um, 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you've shared that. You should be proud. That's it's definitely something to be proud of. I could actually live with my mother-in-law outlaw <laughs> if we had the right space. I didn't mind. I'd lived in lots of lots of communal spaces. It's very nice to have my own kitchen and my own space. But I think if you had the right setup, I could definitely do it. She could as well. It's the men that <laughs> But I could actually live with her easier, I think. But I'm glad you touched on the sexuality. It's a big, huge point. And I actually make up um, herbal blends for vaginal steaming, yoni steaming, pelvic steaming. And I initially did it for new mums for recovery after birth and to assist with um, reproductive health. And I ended up having a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause coming to me asking if it would help with dryness and all the symptoms that come with perimenopause and menopause. And so I started learning more and more about it. And I was like, yes, it can really help as well as, you know, you need to look at it holistically and go chat to a naturopath or someone like that. And um, yeah, so I think it's really important. And it led on to my next point that I want to touch on. So you just flowed there what are the the nitty gritty, like we hear about it, but the nitty gritty aspects of what's going on. There's a huge life transition. Okay. We know puberty. We understand a bit about motherhood and then menopause. Um, You know, we know the hot flushes. Everyone hears about the hot flushes, but there's so much more to it than that. And you've really touched on that spiritual, emotional, uh, mental health space, but there's a lot of physical changes as well. And, physical um like your nutritional kind of needs and cravings might change as well so i'd love you to touch a little bit on that and how a naturopath can really help with that transition well you know every day i learn more um i have to say so some things i'm I'm still learning um but my own my own perspective on it is that when oestrogen withdraws, we become more sensitive. So oestrogen is a bit of a masking hormone. It's, nat- it's a steroid hormone, so it's naturally anti-inflammatory. And I think it protects us from, um, from ourselves to some degree. And so when you when oestrogen starts to withdraw, it's some of that protective, anti-inflammatory, calming kind of effect of oestrogen and the other hormones that go with it, progesterone, for example, we're left a little bit raw. And it's usually what was there all along that we weren't really noticing that comes up. And Dr. Christiane Northrup talks, at a, talks about menopause being a time of reckoning. And that is the case emotionally and mentally and spiritually as well, but also physically. So if you for years have overeaten or eaten the wrong things or eaten a little bit more than you need, or for me, you know, I would just indulge quite a bit in too much chocolate. Um, Or if you aren't really resting enough, taking care of your adrenals and your energy levels you know, you're pushing yourself, even though you know you should stop a little bit more often, but you're not. Um, you know, if you're trying to be everything for everyone and you're exhausted and your iron's low because your periods are heavy and, you know, this all sort of comes to a point where it's hard to ignore and that there's little signs. And I think hormonal imbalances are always... Not, I mean, the canary in the coal mine analogy I think of as, you know, the whole society, you know, the people being, some people being 
you know, the first most vulnerable um, victims of an, a dysfunctional society. And I don't mean it like that, but, but the symptoms are like the little red flags going, not, you're, you're not taking care of yourself properly. You're not in alignment with what's right for you. You're not listening to your body. You're, you're doing things you know you shouldn't. And so, you know, something as simple as drinking enough water, I have done with women, a, you know, a 10-day detox program. One lady I'm thinking in particular, um, she just wanted her hot flushes to go. And first thing we did, well, it was a detox. So she came, she reduced her coffee, which is a stimulant, which helps. And also caffeine is a toxin to the liver. So, um, and liver is a hot organ, especially when it's busy detoxifying all the time. And then she had to drink water. And within a few days, her hot flushes were gone. So it can be something as simple as that to, you know, it can be emotions, anger flooding through your body, creating hot flushes. It can be, um, obviously, it's exacerbated by the hormones, but I don't think the hormones are the cause. They are the, they're more the... the um, like an amplifier. You know, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so there's a whole stack of horm of um symptoms that get lumped into that menopausal, typical menopausal symptoms. And in my opinion, very few of them are due to withdrawing estrogen. And we know that because other cultures, for example, the Japanese women, native, native and natural and traditional cultures, they didn't have what we're going through. They, they didn't do, they, it wasn't a, it was on a struggle. It wasn't a, an endocrine nightmare for women like it is today and uh, and so we know that there's something about the western lifestyle that significantly contributes to the suffering of women at this time and in my opinion it's lifestyle it's it's 80 percent diet which is always uh, you know the, the the biggest contributor to physical well-being particularly and the rest that goes around that so you know resting and sleeping and, and all that kind of thing. So, and even lots of those can come back to diet and gut health because, you know, you can wake up at 3am because your liver's, liver's processing or you can, your cortisol's out of balance and you can wake up at 3am or you can not sleep because of hot sweats because of, you know, dehydration or something, it, it, you know, that it can often go back to those lifestyle choices, even when we think that it's not related. Mm, absolutely. And touching on the adrenals, well, in the traditional postpartum philosophies, especially the Ayurvedic um, Hindu philosophies, they talk about 40 days for 40 years. So if you rest for 40 days, you're going to greatly impact your health in a positive way for 40 years. And so then when you think about it from this modern understanding of how the adrenals work, and again, whether you have children or not, if you just completely burn out your adrenals through your lifestyle, through this rushing, not sleeping, extra caffeine and stimulants to get through, then when you get to menopause, and am I right in saying that the 
what happens is the hormone production, there's like a decrease and a withdrawal, but there's also sort of a switch over from the ovaries to the adrenals with the hormonal production. Is that right? In menopause? I think I'm correct. Yeah. And so then if so, there... so yeah, so estrogen sorry, estrogen... sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little lag. <laughs> uh yeah, the ovaries shut down at in your late 40s, usually, when, you, when you're in perimenopause, slowly and surely they shut down. And so your ovarian production of estrogen um, alters or changes, it completely disappears. And then there's a... Because we, we're still women, we still, um, we still have feminine qualities about ourselves. And so the, the adrenals... I. I it's possible that there is even some of that going on even when we're menstruating, but certainly the only source of estrogen postmenopausally is the adrenal glands. Uh, and, you know, we, we think of, we, the, there's, a, there's catchphrases these days, adrenal fatigue, adrenal burnout, um, but it's, it's really a little bit of an incorrect uh, labelling because, it, you know, the, it's the pituitary in the brain, the hypothalamus and the pituitary, that regulate the endocrine system, including the adrenals, and um, at least the um, the hormonal part of well, yes, they regulate the adrenals, but they also there's this there's this play between the adrenals and the thyroid, and 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 a competing for the the the, the hormone production. Mm. If you're stressed out and your adrenals are exhausted that can affect and lower your thyroid production because the, the precursor, I know I'm getting a bit scientific here, but the, all of our hormones, our steroidal hormones come from cholesterol and that there's a cholesterol pathway which goes to pregnenolone and then preg, um, um, progesterone. And so, you know, if your body's so busy feeding this cortisone pathway, then the other, other pathways can get... Um, affected and so it's it's a whole it's a, and one of my mentors I've got some wonderful herbal earth medicine wet mentors she calls it a, a gaggle of sisters you know each each gland in the endocrine system being a sister or a cousin if you like and they all kind of you know they work together and if you if you make one really skinny one really fat then another one will be really skinny so you know it's it's um, they all work in harmony together, and that's and that's your blood sugar hormones, your thyroid hormones, reproductive hormones, the, the hormones that regular cal regulate calcium in the body, parathyroid hormones, um, and then of course adrenal hormones, uh, which regulate blood sugars. But the adrenals also regulate minerals in the body, and a lot of symptoms can be mineral deficiencies, either because we're not eating them we're not digesting them properly or we're using them all up in one way so that they're deficient in another way. So um, it gets quite complex, but also actually quite simple. Yes. It's yeah. complex in understanding what's going on, but the solutions are simple. Oh, and sometimes that doesn't make them easy, Shelley. Yes. <laughs> giving up coffee is not easy or, or giving up your little nip of, numbness at the end of the day a glass of wine or something it's like it is not easy 
getting enough sleep, giving up your busy lifestyle. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not. And, you know, I, I have given up a few things along the process, most reluctantly, but it's been a reward for effort type of decision. I, when I had my, um, my personal experience, my tragedy, I suppose, um, I don't really, I should probably think of another way of describing that. But anyway, you know what I mean? Mm. I was so anxious. I could, the thought of drinking coffee, which is a, which stimulates the nerve. I couldn't, couldn't stand the idea. Mm. I was too frightened even to drink coffee. Mm. Way too frightened because there were, there were weeks when I barely got any sleep mm. and I was so agitated and I thought I, I can't, I can't drink coffee. I just can't. And I haven't drunk it since. Um, every now and then I have um, a coffee. Um, we had well, my stepdaughter turned 16 last week and we, she wanted a coffee cake. So I made a, a chocolate and coffee mousse and yeah. it had coffee, um, coffee in it. And that, I enjoyed that, but that's different to a cup of coffee. So yeah. 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 With the coffee. Um, I have a love hate relation, not a love hate, just like a, a love striking the balance i made the decision after i dropped off the girls this morning they could have just easily picked up a coffee on the way home I'm like no came home and i made a cup of tea so easy <laughs> and I, yeah i still want to be able to have it occasionally but striking that balance you, you touched on cholesterol there is um also important and i know it's complex but that sort of leads me into and i'm aware of the time but just before we kind of finish up um i came across you through the western a price foundation and i'd love to hear a little bit about how you came to the the Western A Price or the WAP um, traditional lifestyle philosophy and what that has been like for you as far as why it feels right, what that transition and reframing of what real foods and healthy foods are. And I know you've probably been on this this path of looking at that for quite a long time, but as far as coming across the Western A Price and any small sort of transitions and those simple steps that you've made from that discovery... Well, that could take me five hours, all those, <laughs> that question, and it, I won't. But um, it's been, even though I've been a nutritionist for 30 years and I was aware of Western Price multiple times through that, we certainly didn't study it in my, in my which I think is an absolute um, criminal activity that a nutritionist doesn't learn the Western Price philosophy. And, that, and it's still the case. So you've got a lot of nutritionists that have no idea of this wise traditions diet. And I think that it's um, a big missing. Um, but anyway, that aside, uh, it, this is another thing that's opened up from, for me since my change of direction the last few years since the, the baby. And it was just, it came, you know, like one, once you hand yourself a little bit or a lot over to the universe or God or the, the God of your choice, um, you, you start to be guided, right? And so I was working for Billabong Retreat and the lady there was big into Western Price and that's where I got reconnected with it. And then um, got, you know, it, it, it is a big change to what we traditionally think. Most of us think that vegetarian is healthy and it's, and it's not um unless you do it very strategically 
and most people don't have the, the wisdom to do that. Vegan, I would have to say, is um, certainly, I can definitively say, not healthy and it's not spiritual. And I know that's politically, you know, controversial kind of statement to make, mm-hmm. but I have a lot of evidence to support that and I'm going to stand by it because I've seen, I've had in my clinic women with three or four um autoimmune disorders because they're vegan because vegan doesn't support the immune system um and so you know i i suppose part of me loves that it's politically incorrect because i'm a little bit of a rebel at heart uh but i have struggled with my own eating for years and then traveling a lot i had gut issues as well and then always despite being so healthy and so restrictive in many times so, you know, perfect, being a perfect Virgo that I am, I found that I always had, I was always overweight. Always had, even if it might be just sort of eight kilos or five kilos more, it's like, why can't I have the beautiful flat tummy and the, and the, the, the slim legs that, that somebody else is, you know, who's eating a normal, normal whatever. And so it's, it's, spur, it's continuously spurred me on to find the answers. And what I now understand is that a carbohydrate-rich diet, which is fundamentally a vegetarian diet, um, favours fat, um, fat deposit, so fat, fat gain. And a high-protein diet, balanced out with the right non-starchy vegetables and other things that promote gut health, uh, favours muscle development. And the, the reason I believe it now, rather than the keto people telling us and the paleo people telling us, which is all very sexy at the moment, and, you know, you're, 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 you guys who are sports guys and all that kind of stuff, they're into this. Uh, and, and, you know, I suppose Western Price is a little bit of a, a non-sexy cousin to all of that stuff. And I actually think possibly the, the source of that information um, but I saw it now myself in, in, uh, in the research of the tribal and traditional cultures, which is why I love the Western Price Foundation, because it's this research, in-depth research of tribal and traditional cultures and what they did and why and the impacts of that, and then backed up with science, a whole stack of science on top of it. So to me, it's absolutely, um, what's the word where you, it's, you can't argue with it. It's true. Well, truth. Truth is a relative thing. It's, it's, there's so much evidence now that it's hard to not put your faith and belief into it. And so finally I've got something because before, you know, we would, we would learn when I studied, we'd learn diet for a small planet or something it was. And it was about, it was about max matching protein. You know, like if you have a, a legume, it needs to go for a grain to get a, a full protein or amino acid profile. That, that anything that's recent, I don't believe in anymore. It's like until we know something's different, until we know something better, until that gets disproven. And so here was this evidence based on thousands of years of, of practice by tribal and traditional cultures, and it, it just made complete sense to me. And then, of course, it was all the fundamentals of that, that the foundation of it was nutrient-dense foods, and for nutrient-dense foods to be absorbed properly, you have to have optimal, perfect gut health. 
and all of these things, the preparation practices for vegetables. Vegetables should be cooked if they're hard to digest. They should be fermented if they're hard to digest. You deactivate the anti-nutrients in grains by soaking and fermenting them. And so many of these tri traditional practices that our grandmothers go, yes, my mother did that. There was wisdom in it. And so, so much of the wisdom had been sanitized out of our kitchens. And this diet, this, this not even a diet, this, this foundational program, if you like, had all of that and it just resonated with me so beautifully. I mean, I had to, it took me a while to reconcile the idea of eating meat um, because, you know, I care for animals too. Um, so there's that whole um, you know, consciousness argument around animals and eating animals and, and that I, that's, that's a whole nother conversation and it's a difficult one, I understand. It's emotionally difficult. Um, but I just keep going back to no tribal or traditional culture was vegetarian or vegan. So, um, so yes, uh, you know, it was about, anyway, we, that's a whole other thing, Shelley. We'll, we won't go there because that will take up another, um, another hour. It's a whole episode. Yeah. If you see me doing this, it's the chicken I warned you about. I've got a baby chicken. Was it a black chicken? Yes. Did you see it? <laughs> yes. I just saw it. Um, yeah, it's here. And, and so what do I just want to say about that Western price? Um, and then since then, I've also discovered recently the GAPS diet. And the GAPS diet and the Western price diet are aligned. And the GAPS, the lady who wrote the GAPS book, um, who designed it, had an autistic child. And then all, all this stuff about what we're doing to our kids so that they've got... And, and she says that effectively... Um, autism and dyspraxia and dyslexia and ADHD and schizophrenia, all these things are fundamentally digestive disorders. And so, you know, at the very least, Shelley, it gives women and parents hope there's something they can do mm. to, to recorrect the, the gut. And, um, and that comes, like that, that's a whole other thing as well. It comes from a vaginal birth where you the baby picks up the, the microbiome from the mother, but the, the mother's microbiome needs, needs to be good. And then that baby needs to hold on to that microbiome and not have that affected by antibiotics. Either the mother taking them or the baby themselves taking them. Antibiotics have a big impact on gut health. And, um, you know, in terms of postpartum, that's another area that you would be particularly interested in has a lot to do with how we feed ourselves prior to pregnancy, preconception care, which is also a passion of mine, pregnancy care, and then early postpartum care, and how that should be around gut health and setting up the microbiome of the child so that they can have healthful life. Um, but as I said, and a whole other topic. <laughs> Thank you so much for touching on that. You touched on some really good points. Yeah, they're all such huge topics. Um, yeah, I agree. I especially, I mean, I could expand on all of it, but I, um, I'm especially passionate about being vocal that the vegan diet isn't healthy long-term for anyone, the immune system, reproductivity for the future generations, 
And yeah, it's not, it's especially not cool. It's not, it's a very controversial thing at the moment to say, but once upon a time it wouldn't have been, it just would have been common sense. And that's not to, I've been vegan. I've been vegetarian. I suffered. Some okay. people are wonderful converters of nutrients from plants. Not many. It's such a small percentage. And so, so many people do suffer and depending on, yeah, many factors, it'll be a different stage in the timeline that they suffer or their children suffer. Well, just on that, if you're a vegan and you eat a lot of fat, then you'll probably be, be a better converter because fat aids the, digo- di- the absorption of nutrients. But a lot of people are on these diets to lose weight. So they cut the fat out as well. And that's, that's, that's a diabolical perfect storm for poor health. And then, you know, there's the Pottingers in the Western Price, they talk about the Pottingers cats experiment. And that was giving the cats, the kitten, the cats, um, a non-biologically appropriate diet. So I think they fed them cooked or warm, pasteurized milk or something. And then, you know, reproduced those cats over multiple generations. And by the 10th generation, the cats were sterile. So... Mm. You know, we're just, we're talking about a whole stack of things here, including, you know, eating, eating foods that are organic, chemical free, foods that are in their natural form, foods that are prepared in the right way, um, uh, foods in the right combinations, so, and so on. And it's absolutely fascinating, but so much power to it. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all that as I am. I said earlier, I think we could talk for hours and hours about it all. But I'd love for you to share with people about where they can find out more about you. You've got um, a great event coming up and your services and your social media, and I will pop it all in the show notes as well. Well, if you're listening to this in 2020, before the end of uh, October, then you, you will be, uh, you'll want to come along to our next Western Price event, which is with Tori von Bergen. And Tori is the owner of, co-owner, her and her husband own Billabong Retreat here in Sydney. And she's been a fan of the Western Price way of, of eating for 14 years or so. And I've invited her to be the guest speaker because I've only been doing it two or three years and or less and she um she's an inspiration in bringing the fundamentals into a busy household so she can feed a family of five in a way that doesn't mean that she's permanently in the kitchen so it's a lot about efficiencies uh, and in terms of where to start it's always with butter shelly it's always with butter get butter into your diet and then maybe ghee and then maybe broths and and so on um, but coming along to these events is a great way to to get some basic foundational principles so you can start to apply them. It always starts with one one principle or like like the fats. Fats are important to start with. Um, and then why that's important and then how to do that and which ones to avoid and, and so on. So we'll be covering all of that. I have quarterly, pretty much quarterly, um, events that are, uh, you know, Western Price being a charity. This is my my giving back, my charity service, um, and I always have a guest speaker inspiring us to do that. 
So that's coming up on the 4th of November and you'll find that in Eventbrite under Staples for a Nourishing Kitchen with Tori. Um, in addition to that, I have a, a website that's a work in progress. You know, us business people, our website's never perfect. Um, but it has um, my information on there at least for contacting me. I am in um, Facebook. I have Quintessence Health in Facebook or my own personal page as well, Brenda Rogers. And of course I dabble in LinkedIn and, and Instagram as well. Girls got to do that. <laughs> um, primarily my services at the moment are naturopathic services and, you know, consultations for people. Uh, my intention is to grow that. I, one of the things that's opened up for me in the last couple of years is to full, my full-time business. Prior to that, I was a corporate health trainer and health expert, as well as being in part, private, very, very part-time practice. And now it's all me. I'm doing it on my own and loving it and um, building a business that isn't just the one-to-one -one naturopathic consultations, which is, you know, relatively speaking, it's expensive. It's not Medicare covered. It's not like going to the doctor and it's free. You have to pay and I have to feed my family. So I have to charge. And so it makes it inaccessible to some people. Um, and so my goal is to, to develop more programs and offerings and group things where we can come together, Shelley, in community and build community and share this information in a way that the DIY, which I think is the ultimate feminine thing to do, to be the healer of the kitchen and healer of the household um, to learn what we're learning. And that's connecting with people like yourself and others who are on the same journey. Thank you so much. I'll pop all those links up and that sounds great. And for anyone, I've just been, this morning I've been looking on Brenda's website and watching some little YouTubes, 10 minute YouTubes with Holly Davis, which have been really lovely to watch as well. So um, yeah, go and have a look at those. Thank you so much and I look forward to connecting more in the future and, um, yeah, seeing where you go and grow. It's exciting. Thank you so much, Shelley. And to your listeners, can I just say as a, as a wrap-up um, that you're amazing because I'm imagining most of you are women. Men are amazing too in a different way, but you're, you're amazing. Um, if you don't feel it right now, hang in there. Uh, it's just because it's, it's not in your view at the moment um, that this reconnecting with healing and food and the earth is a, a path for becoming, um, for embodying, embodying your own greatness as a woman and as a mother and as a, a member of our society. So thank you for your uh, generous listening. I appreciate that. And to the menopausal women out there, there is so much hope, so much you can do, so much um, beauty to find in being a 50-year-old woman. So um, seek that out. It's amazing. It's worth every, every effort. And thank you. Thank you. I'm sure that our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. And yeah, thanks for such a rich conversation. Well, I love you so dearly and I love you so clear. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. 
just wanted to jump on and say thanks to everyone who has been supporting and sharing and following so far. When I first started the podcast almost two years ago, I had no idea where it would lead. And I have to say that I have just loved the opportunity to chat to interesting people and to contribute to the world of podcasts out there, which was initially my inspiration as a mother. I find podcasts so valuable to be able to tune into interesting adult conversations in the everyday world while you're driving, doing the dishes, whatever that may be. So I would love for you to share any episodes, go back, we've got 30 something episodes now, I've got some exciting news coming soon. Um, so yeah, I'd love for you also to go and sign up to my email list over at pollinationmamas.com jump on Instagram and Facebook at Pollination Mamas and let me know what your favourite episodes have been and any topics that you might like to hear in the future. Thank you so much. Now